0: There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the Tragedy of Cinema's Twilight Zone.
1: As must be obvious, this is a house hovered over by Mr. Death that omnipresent player to the third and final act of every life and it's been said and probably rightfully so that what follows this life is one of the unfathomable mysteries an area of darkness which we the living reserve for the dead or so it is said for in a moment a child will try to cross that bridge which separates light and shadow and of course he must take the only known route that indistinct highway Through the region we call the Twilight Zone. Alright guys,
2: welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host Jimbo, and joined again once today by my buddy in the fifth dimension. That's
0: right, from the northwest side, it's ADZ, trying to avoid all these uh, fireworks going off around me. Hopefully we won't pick (laughs) any up. Man, (laughs) it's
2: getting scary. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, thought the Civil War was going on behind my house earlier.
0: People were letting them Um, off during the daytime, it's crazy. Like, wait till night. we right
2: we've we've been away for a minute um there's been a lot of things happening in real life eric's daughters graduated high school um vacations family trips all that fun stuff yep. going on so we're back trying to hammer out season two and get it all finished up uh this episode long distance call number one it's pretty weird i'm not gonna lie it's kind of uh what would you say it's kind of
0: ominous creepy ominous yeah yeah
2: creepy yes um but it is also the last one of the videotaped episodes. I do believe. I believe this is number six yep. of the videotaped episodes. Um, but Eric, um, before we get started, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. This this episode's about a little boy whose grandma gives him a toy phone for his birthday. She's dying. And he can communicate with her, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's the gist of it. Right. Um, but I have a question for you before we start. I just wanted to throw that out there, so I just didn't throw this out here without the audience know what I'm talking about. So, Eric, I'm going to start off with a bang for you right off right out of the gate, Eric. If you had um, a phone and you could place one phone call to somebody that has passed away, who would you choose? Oh, well, just have one more, just have one more conversation with them.
0: Um, it's funny, and you only get one. Okay. Um, uh, probably my grandfather, my mom's dad. Um, uh, it kind of ties in well with this, um, episode because it was like, I actually was going to ask you this question later on in our uh, episode, but we'll go ahead and bring it up now. Um, it, it, for me, it was the first, uh, significant funeral that I ever attended. And the, like one of the closest people to ever pass away, uh, at an early age, I was like nine years old. So, uh, yeah, it, it affected me pretty much uh, throughout my young life. I used to have dreams that I would talk to him again, you know, and he would he, he would come uh, have a reoccurring dream where I would uh, be sitting down at like a kitchen table with him and talking to him. So yeah, if if there was somebody that I could call and talk to again, it would probably be my my grandfather. And uh, okay, so just to, to follow up, I guess to ask you, what, what was your first? Memory of uh, a close relative or someone that was close to you dying? Do you remember that?
2: I do. uh, I was lucky enough to know both of my uh, great-grandparents, all uh, all of them pretty much, uh, except my great-grandma on my dad's side, but he remarried, so I got to meet her. Um, But both of my great-grandpas died within three months of each other. Um, But the one that, you know, you see them, but like one of them lived in Tennessee and the other one lived kind of down the street from my... Uh, my grandparents. So I never really got close with them. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, but the, the one that probably stands out, the first one that I can uh, really remember that had an effect on me would probably be my uh, grandpa on my mom's mm-hmm. side, which you remember him. He, I think he was your Sunday school teacher at one point too. Um, and I was fresh out of high school. I believe it was in July of 97 when he died. Okay. Um, so I wasn't really young, but I was still young enough you know, that it affected yeah. me in different ways. And same thing. I, I'll tell you this right now because I haven't really ever told this to anybody. I, I've told a couple of people, but I'll, 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 let the audience know on this. Um, when he was in the hospital, you know, he was asking, Hey, where I'm at. And they're like, well, he's at work. You know, I was working at Burger King at the time. And, um, when I would go over there and I would, I would cut their grass for him. Right. Um, and, and I had this dream and, um, I remember going into this hospital room it was, and he was sitting there with like a white t-shirt on, you know, and sitting up in the bed, you know, and, and, and the white sheets and all that. And, and he, and all I can remember from the dream is he said, Hey, he said, uh, have you been cutting your grass for your grandma? <laughs> and I said, and, and I said, yeah. And he said, well, keep on doing that. Yeah. That's all I remember from that. Yeah. And then like the next day he died. So, um, from then on, you know, I cut my grandma's grass and, everything, you know, made sure, you know. Um, but that's just a memory I have of that. Right. And watching this episode, it brings back a lot of those memories, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. And it's kind of hard sometimes, uh, but you don't want to forget those memories. You want to hang on to them as long as you can. And to have something like that where you could reach yeah. out and call them and just hear their voice one time. I know we're in the age of where um, the old VHS tapes um, we have some of those hanging around that have some of them on there. You know what I mean? So I have some of that, but those are getting harder and harder to keep secure and to keep safe because, you know, they just deteriorate right. over time so quickly. So I need to look at transferring some of that stuff over to, you know, digital so they can live forever. So. Right.
0: Well, yeah, it's an interesting uh, episode how uh, how those uh, thoughts and feelings sort of you know are refreshed and brought back into the front of our minds yeah you were obviously young in high school i was nine and yeah it was uh, forever impressed it made an impression upon me and it was a yeah pretty significant uh, point in time in in my life and so uh i'll go ahead and uh Not really a good segue into the the episode. (laughs) Well,
2: sorry we got off track there of the episode, a little bit about a personal life, but you'll see how it ties in as we go through this episode. sure,
0: sure. So this this, uh, episode is entitled Long Distance Call. It is the Twilight Zone season number two. It is episode number 22, and it was directed by James Sheldon. It was written by Maxwell Stan or Sanford, not Stanford, uh, S-A-N-F-O-R-D. Uh, Maxwell Sanford was the uh, author, and Charles Beaumont, and William Idelson, so sort of a triad there of uh, writers on this particular episode. Uh, the original air date for this episode was March the 31st, 1961, and that, of course, brings us to our favorite segment that we uh, have around here. Uh, It's a, it's a segment that we like to call on this day in history. Okay. So on this day in history uh, for March the 31st, uh, let's talk about the 53rd Academy Awards. Um, uh, the best picture award went to uh, a film called ordinary people. Okay. And, uh, the best actor uh, award went to Robert De Niro for raging bull and, uh, This was the 53rd. I don't have the date written down. I think it's 1981, if I'm not mistaken. I apologize. I forgot to write the date down, but this is 1981, I believe. So Robert De Niro for Raging Bull for Best Actor, Best Actress, was Sissy Spacek for Coal Miner's Daughter. Uh, Both of those guys won, and those are two great movies. You should check them out. Um, I don't think we've covered either one on the podcast, but they are... uh, Oh well, we raging, we bull, raging, raging bull, raging bull. Sorry, yes, yep. I apologize. Raging bull, we did cover. And coal, uh, coal
2: miner's daughter. Is that the uh, Loretta Lynn story? Yes,
0: that's correct. So uh, that's also a very good movie. All right, so I started a trend, and we're going to go move to 1985, and we're going to talk about WrestleMania One. It was at Madison Square Garden <laughs> yes, in New York City, and Hulk Hogan and Mr. T beat Rowdy Piper and Paul Orndorff. I don't, know, Paul Orndorff. Uh,
2: that's Paul, Mr. Wonderful, Orndorff. Orndorff.
0: Maybe. Thank you. I
2: just watched WrestleMania 1 like last week. <laughs> I started all over watching them through. I knew I could. Also in WrestleMania, WrestleMania 1, Eric, you may remember, first match was Tito Santana versus The Executioner, but in match two, you had King Kong Bundy taking on Special SP Special Delivery Jones where King Kong Bundy squashed him in oh, nine boy, seconds. Oh, boy, here we go. I've,
0: WrestleMania record at the time. <laughs> I've set him off loose. <laughs> I've set him loose. Uh, so thank you for that uh, name- correction i i knew i could count on you for that proper pronunciation of right. the name and then uh hey wait a minute eric yeah Eric, do you
2: remember when it was my birthday one year and we went to that wrestling match yeah of course and it lasted like it last they taped like Forever. six different shows or something we yeah. were there till like three in the morning it was beautiful we watched Brutus the barber cut so many guys hair that
0: night <laughs> yeah that was uh that was a pretty good memory yeah that, that was a long taping i do remember that of course i think that was at the I old know, but- uh market square arena maybe yeah I think so? Yeah, where Elvis gave his last performance. <laughs> That's right. Uh, skipping. Well, to... we are just full of knowledge on this Twilight Zone I episode know. today. All of, <laughs> full of uh, unuseful knowledge for sure. Um, so, <laughs> skipping ahead to 1990. This is a, a, a little known trivia fact. Carol and Company, starring Carol Burnett, premieres on NBC TV. It only ran for uh, 34 episodes. Uh, I don't know if it was just try uh, like a revival of the Carol Burnett show from the 1970s, but it was called Carol and Company. It debuted in 1990. It only ran for about a season and it had 34, uh, episodes on that particular, um, NBC television station. So that wraps up our, on this day in history, taking us back. So back to our episode here, just a few more facts and I'll let Jimbo jump into the cast. Um, the original air date for this episode was March the 31st, 1961. I already stated that earlier. The total production costs for this episode was $50,747.16. And of course, when we adjust that for inflation, we're looking at about a half a million dollars at $512,284.94. That's about a 909% increase over these many years. The dates of rehearsal were as follows: December the twelfth through December the sixteenth. So that was a kind of a long shooting schedule. You usually got maybe three days at the most for, or excuse me, for rehearsal. Uh, so looking like it about four days there for rehearsal. And the dates of filming for this episode were December the seventeenth and the eighteenth of nineteen sixty. So that concludes the preliminary. Um, facts about this particular episode jimbo go ahead and uh, take away that cast
2: sure um you may recognize this gentleman uh, philip abbott uh he played chris bells in this um he was in the great uh show savannah smiles eric did you ever see savannah smiles
0: i did not i've never seen you
2: need to check yet. it out it's a good movie uh, with uh, oh, Chief oh, Pruitt. okay right yeah, but he played Chief Pruitt. Uh He was also in Sweet Bird of Youth in 1962, and he was in The Invisible Boy in 1957. Then you had Lily Darvis. Uh, she played Grandma Bayless, or Bailey Bayless. Bayless Bales. Yeah. Um, man, she did a pretty good job. She was kind of pretty creepy in this episode. I didn't like uh, her. Episode.
0: Yeah. Didn't like her. Uh, oh. She.
2: Uh, uh, Meet Me in Las Vegas in 1956. And uh, she was in the TV show The Man from U.N.C.L.E. for one episode. She was in a lot of other stuff, too. Uh, Then you have Patricia Smith with Sylvia Bells. Uh, She was in The Spirit of St. Louis in 1957. Uh, She was also a regular on The uh, Debbie Reynolds Show from 1969 to 70, where she played Charlotte Landers for 20 episodes. And yes, this gentleman needs no introduction. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, Bill Mummy. Um, he played Billy little Billy in this movie or uh, episode he was probably most famous for his lost in space series where Mm -hmm. he played Will Robinson danger Will Robinson Mm -hmm. danger Uh, but he was also in the great sci-fi television show Babylon 5 uh, for he played Lanier for 108 episodes in 1994 and then he also played two episodes as Lanier in 1995 Um, highly recommend Babylon 5 if you've never seen it then we have Jenny Maxwell, who played Shirley, the babysitter. She was in Blue Hawaii in 1961 with Elvis Presley, where she played Ellie. <laughs> you had uh, Reed Hammond played Mr. Peterson. Uh, Henry Hunter, uh, he was, played the doctor. Uh, I thought he did a really good job. He was in uh, a couple of ones I threw in because I've seen them. Uh, Munster Go Home. Uh, he was in that with about the Munsters. Uh, where he was uncredited and he was also in Son of Flubber where he played the Admiral and he's also been in a lot of other stuff. You had Lou Brown, uh, he played the fireman, he was in the movie airport and you had Arch Johnson, who was another fireman that was uncredited. He was in the movie The Sting um, if you've ever seen that. Uh, Robert McCord he was another he was the first fireman he's uncredited. Uh, Jetta Parr, she was a nurse that was uncredited and yes, the great Rod Serling was the narrator and self-host no explanations needed for his storied career and that takes care of the cast for the long distance
0: call all right so just as a side note uh jenny maxwell who played the the babysitter had a kind of an untimely demise uh a little bit of trivia here i'm just going to read a little bit about uh her life outside of uh, obviously starring with elvis presley and was a semi-successful star but uh, uh, unfortunately was killed uh, actually murdered I'm going to talk about that on June 9th, 1981 Maxwell had minor surgery at a hospital and uh, while they lived separately at the time roder that was her husband at the time his last name was roder offered to drive her home uh, once she exited the hospital she took the offer uh, though her friends uh, distrusted Roder. On June the tenth, Maxwell and Roter visited a restaurant together. Afterwards, they drove to Roter's residence in Beverly Hills. Shortly afterwards, someone shot both Maxwell and Roter. And when Roter uh, called for help, Maxwell was already dead, with half of her head blown away. It's terrible. So uh, Roter died shortly thereafter, without any, without identifying any assailant. Maxwell was thirty-nine years old at the time of her death, and the police attributed the deaths. to to a botched robbery though nothing was stolen from rotor's residence, the case still officially remains unsolved so that you know that's kind of a sad uh into mm. judy maxwell's life um the, the the girl who played the babysitter here in this particular episode uh i don't know i think she might have had a half a dozen credits maybe um But uh, let's jump into the plot here of uh, this episode. So Billy Bales loves his Grandma Bales and likes the present she's given him, a, a toy telephone, which she says will allow him or them to communicate forever. Grandma Bales is ill, however, and soon dies. But Billy claims he can speak to her on their special telephone. When he tells his parents that she wants him to join her, wherever she's gone to, they pay no mind when he throws himself in front of the neighbor's car however it all gets deadly serious yeah does it ever mm. let me let me ask you this question I'll throw this question in here now i don't think it's the exact same phone that billy has but did you ever have one of the fisher price plastic white <laughs> telephone that the eyes rolled up and down and you yeah. yeah you would you would pull it along on the string and be yeah. <laughs> yeah did you ever have yeah. one of those of course. Yeah, yeah. I of think course. every kid you didn't in have America one back in our day. Yeah, every kid in America had one uh, at, at one point in time. Uh, I think they still sell those. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I think my I think my kids had them. Yeah. Yeah. I, can you imagine <laughs> Can you imagine now like giving your teenager <laughs> a toy telephone <laughs> or or even a younger well, kid. Me, me... Even younger kids, they don't they don't play with toy plastic telephones. They get the real thing.
2: Let me ask you a question then. Did uh, your two daughters ever uh, become so attached to a certain toy or a possession they had when they were younger, when they were kids?
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure they did. Uh, I, I, I do you remember any of them? I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but
2: I mean, like my my son, uh, he had this stupid stuffed animal dog named. It was one of the hundred one Dalmatians named Patch. Yeah, and he couldn't go to bed without <laughs> Patch, and then when you tucked him in. And you kissed him goodnight, You had to kiss Patch goodnight, too, make sure he was okay. <laughs> right, with Patch, right. the dog. Of course. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So Billy has this telephone that he he's uh he's been given by his grandmother, his doting, loving grandmother. So we'll just go ahead and jump right into the the episode here. And uh, the the really the episode opens. Unless you have anything else that you want to throw in here, did you did you cover everything that you?
2: I did so far. Um, Okay. I will have a question when they pass the presents out, though. I want to see if you observe this.
0: All right, so I'm just going to follow the progression here. Um, Chris brings Grandma down from the upstairs, and they come into, like, the living room. or Actually, it's a dining room area, it looks like, and it's all set up for young Billy's birthday party, and Grandma Bales is, again, accompanied by Chris, and Billy runs to greet Grandma Bales when uh, she enters the room, and she lifts him up and you know gives him a big hug and everything and uh chris tells her hey grandma don't exert yourself uh too heavily here billy and she's like oh billy's light as a feather or something like that and uh so billy comes over to the table and his mom sylvia brings the the cake and and with the lighted candles and sets it right in the middle of the table and billy blows out his candles and uh there's obviously tension there between you can feel this tension already early in the episode between the grandmother and billy's mother sylvia and really everybody but i mean it's most palpable i guess between the mom and the grandma and grandma is like super doting on billy and billy loves her and it's probably a case of where a mom feels kind of like left out of the equation and and I'll get to that towards the end but this this tension sometimes that can arise just naturally through if you if you bring an older an older parent moves back in with a a married couple and and the you know they have uh, a parent gets up in their age and they're caring for that parent sometimes the dynamics in the household you know it it takes a lot of work because sometimes you know mothers/grandmothers slash can try to take over and you know Kind of usurp authority and stuff,
2: and but I think you'll find out more about that when she's on her deathbed with what she says. Oh yeah, too. I got
0: it right here. Uh, so yeah. l- uh, let's move. We'll keep moving, and and so Grandma is quoted uh, as they're having this discussion around the table. She she stands up and she says, "I want to give a speech." So she says, "My little Billy, my wonderful little boy, he gave me life again. An old woman, good for nothing, no more but to complain. He held his hands to me and made me alive." So Billy is basically Grandma is ill, and we we come to find that out through the course of the episode. And and Billy is basically what's keeping her alive. She you know he's giving her love and affection that she feels like you know she hasn't gotten. And you know he's she, he, he's kind of like her life's blood almost really like he keeps her uh, young and spry. Uh, so Grandma Bill's also hints at he she hints to billy at her death like like her death is coming and she uses the phrase i'm gonna go away for a while she doesn't tell him you know that she's gonna die because billy probably never experienced anyone dying uh in his young uh, what is he like five years old now five yeah
2: it's his fifth fifth birthday yeah
0: yeah so he's only five he no one in he's never had to experience death before and that's kind of a touchy subject and you know that tension arises from that as well because you know the parents are probably like man what is what is grandma gonna say to billy like he she can't go off and you know try to explain that he he's just not gonna understand what what death is at this point so they move from the dining room into the living room and now it's presents time you know they're gonna hand out presents and so um Grandma again tries to one up mom and dad. You know, mom and dad have already purchased a few gifts and they're laying out. You see a toy gun or whatever, and, and but grandma's like, Oh, no, 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 Billy, open my present, open my present first. Well, no, he's
2: so so when they walk in there, he's already got the gun out shooting. That's what, yeah, yeah. his if you notice. The mom comes over and she says, hey, Billy, I want you to open this one next because it's the one you really wanted. Oh, right, right. But Grandma says, hey, Billy, why don't you come open this present? And what does Billy do? Billy doesn't care what he's really wanted. He wants to go open the one from Grandma. Mm -hmm. And right there, that was like, you know, there's just something about the love between a grandmother and their grandson or granddaughter. Uh, It's just different, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortunately, you and I aren't at that age yet. (laughs) rapidly approaching that age, but Mm -hmm. uh, neither one of us are grandpas yet. uh, So uh, I'm sure our time will come when we do the same thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, uh, Billy rushes over. He opens the present and we discover that it's a toy telephone. And then Billy and grandma, they pretend to have a conversation, uh, you know, with the toy telephone until grandma looks faint and uh, she stands up and she doesn't look very well. She looks faint and she has to be escorted upstairs. And as she leaves, Billy repeats the line into his uh, hand, handset of the of his new toy phone. Don't be sick, Grandma. Please don't be sick. And then the, the scene ends. Well, first let me back up. As the scene ends, enters uh, Rod for his monologue. And, of course, we'll insert the monologue in into the episode here. So Rod gives his monologue. And then uh, the next scene that we come to, um, it opens uh, actually in the upstairs bedroom, I believe. Grandma, she is sick and close to death. And the doctor, whose name is R. Unger, it's on his bag. That's the close-up shot that we get in the beginning of the scene. He is tending to Grandma. And after he finishes tending to her, he comes down the stairs and he's shaking his head, uh towards chris indicating that things don't look good at all for his mother and and so uh, billy he's crying well it's suggested that sylvia take billy upstairs and go to bed because you know the parents are really apprehensive They're, they don't know how to handle like any of us like you don't really know how to handle a situation like this they they don't know whether you know billy should be around his grandmother at this time or not And so, it's suggested that he goes up to bed, but Billy is crying, and he's insistent that he wants to see his grandma again. Uh, You know, he's, please, you know, he's almost begging, like, I want to see my grandma, I want to see her. So, Chris tries to explain to Billy that his grandmother is really sick, and tells him to wait until she gets better. Uh, but then Billy just cries even more and then eventually Chris like relents and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go take him. This, this might be like the last time that he gets to see her. So, you know, it's just that conflict of like, should I let him see her the way she is really ill? That might leave it like a really deep impression on him. And, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, he's really, you can see that struggle and tension of what he should do. And, um. so then Billy and the rest of the family come up to grandma's bedside at the upstairs bedroom. And then and this might be where you where you had something that you wanted to say, but the exchange did did you do notice I'll just ask, did you notice that exchange between Grandma Bales and her son Chris was really chilling? Like like I'll just go ahead and read. It, it says He's, well,
2: grandma, grandma, grandma says because uh, Billy they they let Billy down and he goes over and he's like grandma and she's like my angel, yeah, you right. know, and she she basically like she recognizes him already, you know, and then when Chris comes over, you know, once Billy walks away and she's just like, who are you? you know? Yeah,
0: <laughs> <was> exactly. Like, <laughs> he says hello, mom. He says who are she says who are you? And he, and he's like, I'm your son, Chris. I'm I'm your son. She's like, no, my son was taken away from me by a woman. This is my son mm-hmm. now. Billy is my son. I'm like, dude, that is. She probably was on a lot of medication. I'm going to give Grandma the benefit of the doubt. She was on medication. <laughs> she didn't know what she was saying. But that is really bone chilling to say something like that to your son. Like, no, you're you're not my son. You were taken away. Let, let
2: Let me ask you a question. Now, we will find out a little bit later in this episode that she had two sons before right. uh, him. My question was, do you think this was a direct comment towards Chris's wife?
0: Yeah, I think so.
2: Or could she be referring to one of the other child uh, that died? Did a lady take him aw- them away? You know what I mean?
0: I personally get the impression that it was directed toward Chris's wife. Like <laughs>
2: so, so do I, but I that that popped in my mind as the episode yeah. was progressing. But she just said son, so she didn't say sons because she had two of them, you know right. what I mean? So I was just a little back thought that I had. And while we're we're at this point, uh, I did have something back uh, from the first part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Two things. One, what do you think Billy's wish was when he blew out the candles when he whispered into grandma's ear and told him a wish? Mm. Because he wouldn't tell anybody else the wish. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. That right there, I was always told if you tell your wish, it doesn't come true. But he trusted enough to tell his grandma the wish.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. That that'd be one to that's,
2: speculate on that's if I could talk to Rod, I'd like to know that. And number two, how about them birthday hats, man? The one with the old rubber band that you would put on yeah. snappy you in your chin or whatever. that's something else, man. If you ever had one of those little birthday hats that snapped in you, man, that hurts. Yeah. It's just like them old Halloween masks you put on, you know, yeah. you know
1: I mean? so,
0: maybe Billy's But that wish, was just two that I had at the beginning. Maybe Billy's wish that grandma would be nicer to his mom. I don't know.
2: Well, maybe, maybe he wished that she wouldn't die or that she wouldn't be sick or something, or that I could stay with you for, you know, just something like, I wish you didn't have to go anywhere or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just thought, I just, I just thought that was kind of slid in there without really explaining it.
0: And I thought, hmm, very interesting. Yeah. So grandma, this is the first time we get a little insight uh, toward the end of this scene. Grandma wants Billy and her to go far away together in death. So grandma is a creep um and then of (laughs) course we close we close the scene with grandma Bales uh passes away and um so then the next scene opens up and billy is standing by over a pond and and that'll come into play later in the episode so billy is gazing into this pond that looks like it's in their backyard and um Sylvia says Billy has just not been himself all day. He's walking around like he's in a trance. You know, everyone is upset because of what's happened. And uh, but Billy is taken to, you know, talking on the phone. And his mom is curious and asking Billy um, who he's talking to on the phone. And he tells his mom that he's talking to his grandma and that she's lonely and at, and she's asking him, can he come stay with her? And you're like, dude, this, this but, is getting.
2: But I, I'm sure you can relate to this. When he comes back inside and she says, hey, go upstairs or whatever, you know, he comes in and he just takes his coat off and he just throws it on the ground <laughs> as he goes upstairs. Yeah. Which his mom comes over and picks it up later in the episode. But yeah. how many times have we been there? You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: he just throws. Yeah. Yeah. He's a typical <laughs> five-year-old kid. And, uh so uh, the next scene, I believe, uh, the parents uh, are entering the home, like a scene from the outside, and they're entering the uh, home, and it looks as though they have returned from the funeral. And it's discovered mm-hmm. that Billy was playing out in the street because their neighbor, Peterson, is uh, sitting there in the home. And we discover that uh, Billy was playing in the street. And his babysitter, Shirley, is she's nervous and scared and she's just trying to explain what happened and and she's all kinds of nervous and uh, so the neighbor is you know he's pretty shaken up too and he, he tries to explain you know if i wasn't uh you know an observant driver and i hadn't hit my brakes in time um you know i would have easily hit your son so you need to have a like a he's kind of stern with him and with Chris, like, you need to have a talk with your son. And he's like, most of all, you know, what's most crazy about it. When I asked him why he did a foolish thing, like jumping in front of a car, Billy told me somebody told him to. So Mm -hmm. now man, this thing is taking a real ominous turn, this episode, you're like, Holy smokes. This grandma is nutty. Like she's out there (laughs) trying to kill her own grandson. So Shirley says that, well, it's asked like, well, who's Billy been talking to? And Shirley's like, I, you know, guys, you know, I would never say anything like that to him, or I would, you know, ever suggest that he play in the street. And uh, so Shirley says that she said, "Oh, he's just been he's just been upstairs yeah,
2: talking on his little phone yeah, all night. He's,
0: he's only been up in his room talking to the on the telephone, that toy telephone, all afternoon. That's the only person that he's come in contact with this entire day. So this causes Chris and Sylvia to be really concerned and the stress that it puts on the family is almost unbearable at this point. Chris tries to, you know, he tries to comfort his wife and, you know, he that's Jimbo what you alluded to, alluded to earlier where uh, through their conversation he's trying to comfort his wife and she's obviously very upset. He, he again recounts like, hey, my mom had a total of three children. Two of them died. I was the only one that was left and once I grew up and moved out and got married and had a family. Billy kind of took my place. And so, you know, uh, so he kind of explains that dynamic and, and reassures her that everything is, is going to be okay. And that, uh, they decide that, Hey, let, let's just, let's just go to bed. And, uh, cause Sylvia was like really upset. Uh, cause I think this might be like the second time that she caught Billy, like talking on the phone and then well, I left out an important part. So she hears him through the door talking on the phone. She comes in, grabs the receiver out of his hand, puts it up to her ear, and she can hear Grandma Bales breathing on the other end. Right? So, yeah, pretty crazy. And so then Chris has a conversation with Billy and, and tells him, hey, don't, uh, but- don't tell your mom any of this stuff. Like, is this is going to upset her.
2: But is uh, is this where she's? They're in bed, and she gets up because he, he. She hears him talking, and he's like, "Hooray for Peter Pan! That's a great story, yeah. Grandma." You know what I mean? And, and I'm thinking, man, is Grandma like in the you know one of the the kids that don't grow up now? You know, and uh, his mom. This is where she. Is this where she breaks his telephone?
0: Yeah, actually, yeah, the the first time she just gets really upset and, like, leaves the room because Billy's telling her, you know, all the stuff about Grandma and how he's talking to her and all that stuff. So she just kind of leaves the room. Then they have that conversation, in uh, Mom and Dad, in their bedroom. And then they go to bed about 3 a.m., which, again, Grandma, what are you doing calling Billy at 3 a.m.? He's five years old. (laughs) He's got to get his rest. And then he's talking to her on the phone. Sylvia wakes up and and listens outside his bedroom door. She hears like giggling and and laughter and the the Peter Pan thing. And then she bursts in, and that's when she grabs the receiver. I'm sorry, I got that you know backwards. And then she hears Grandma mm-hmm. breathing on the other end of the phone. And then Billy just darts and runs downstairs. His mom follows follows after him and discovers that he is thrown himself in the pond and appears to have drowned and
2: well i don't think he i don't think he darts out right there because she she goes and she tells her husband that hey i heard her i heard her breathing yeah her I husband. He, remember, i think
0: chris comes in and in, in billy's room around the same time and then they're like trying to talk to each other and that's when billy darts down right down the stairs and uh it's really good how they did the cinematography here and i'll get into that in some of the uh trivia uh of what what the shot was supposed to be versus how it ended up and uh so the paramedics uh, arrive in the next scene and they attempt to revive billy and i'm jumping ahead here just for time and uh sylvia obviously has, has she's hysterical um and chris uh he i'll just say this he makes one last attempt um, an appeal to his deceased mother, and that is the the final scene, really, up in Billy's room, where he takes the toy telephone and he sort of like um, he asks him, asks his mother to give him back, give him back. He hasn't what? even lived his life yet,
2: right? Um, right so you got your trust. Actually, companion. there's I got my trusty Twilight Zone companion because actually, it was actually in the script written a different way. Mm-hmm. So, here's how the scene was supposed to go. Um, this is how it was originally uh, supposed to be. So, he was supposed to be, Ma, if you can hear me, give him back to us. You said you loved me, and I know you did. I remember so many things. Remember that funny little dog I had? You let me keep him even when he tore up all the furniture. Paul wanted to give him away, but you said No. And remember the first day of school, how scared I was, and you sat in the back of the room all morning so I wouldn't cry, and that first pair of long pants, and the time I broke the window with the ball, you hid me under the bed when the policeman came, Uh, my graduation, and that first date I had, you remember, with that skinny redhead, how mad you were, we had lots of fights, but I always knew you loved me, and I loved you, too, so very, very much." I never really got a chance to tell you, Oma, please give him back to us so we can give him or so we can love him to give him back to us. Now, uh, Chuck Beaumont and I uh, says we're sitting on the set when they were shooting the show, says Idelson. And Rod came down and said, I don't like that last speech. He says, I want you to change it. Chuck and I went to an office and changed it on the spot. What emerged was this speech. Uh, which took the focus away from the father in that speech and put it more back onto Billy where it belongs. Uh, It says, mother, if you can hear me, listen, you said you loved Billy at his birthday. You picked him up and you hugged him and you said he gave you life again. If you really love Billy, give him back. He's only five. He hasn't even started. He doesn't know anything about going to school or girlfriends or, uh, or wearing long pants, even pitching a baseball. He's hardly been out of this room, out of this house. There's a whole world he hasn't even touched. Mother, you said you Billy, uh, you said Billy gave you life. Now can you give him life? If you really love him, let him live. Give him back. Give him back, Ma. So when the show aired, went on the air, Idelson said they all came over to his house, Chuck, Dick, Matheson, and Bill Nolan, and they were all very complimentary. It was a tremendous thrill for him. So,
0: Yeah, that's good stuff about uh, that re- that last-minute rewrite. Um, let's talk about our uh, child star here, Bill Mooney, and uh, we'll talk about him, just some, some highlights of his car- uh, really illustrious career. So um, just a few highlights. He was the original choice to play Eddie Munster. In the 1960s Uh. cult TV series, The Munsters. Um, This is interesting. He was a lifelong friend of James Stewart, or Jimmy Stewart, uh, with whom he co-starred in the film Dear Brigitte in 1965. Stewart and Moomy, their families uh, all knew each other, um, and they were often together off screen. Uh, Stewart's wife, Gloria, having been Moomy's Sunday school teacher. He can still do a perfect imitation of Stewart's voice, one that frequently cracks Stewart up, uh, cracked him up during his lifetime. And they were all members of the Beverly Hills Presbyterian Church. He has uh, ninety-five credits as an actor, but here's the thing: he is a very talented and well-known musician, songwriter, recording artist, and uh, as well as a writer. He plays the guitar, the bass, the keyboard, the banjo, the mandolin, the harmonica, and uh, percussions, and he sings. And then Jim Ball uh, already touched on this earlier. When uh, Bill first appeared as Will Robinson in the popular TV series Lost in Space in 1965, he was just a uh, child actor. Over uh, 50 years later, he became the only actor from the original series to reprise his role in the remake Lost in Space in 2018. Uh, did you ever see the the remake? It was on Netflix. Uh, it was Netflix, pretty good.
2: I watched like the first or second, epi- one to two episodes. Yeah. I don't think I watched
0: it me and my kids watched it. It was a pretty good uh, series. Um, let's see. What else about Bill Mooney? Uh, he just said this about that, that experience. He said, I had a great time doing Lost in Space in 1965, with the exception of a couple of days. I don't have any unpleasant memories of the show. The only thing I'm bitter about is, the sense, uh, is in a sense is that the show runs constantly in syndication and none of the actors get paid nonetheless i made a lot of money at the time my family invested it well for me and i have a lot of nice things i can't complain so he was a very talented guy he's one of those child actors that you know i mean he's had a long illustrious career no major hiccups with like drugs or alcohol or you know going to prison like so many child actors have fallen victim to and he was very um talented it sounds like and he, he wrote a lot of songs for uh, Disney, I think. Um also starred in a couple Disney movies. I think he was in uh actually one of his inspirations was watching Zorro Disney Zorro from nineteen fifty seven. Um and it says here that uh While he was watching that TV series, a young Bill broke his leg attempting to recreate one of the show's stunts in his bedroom. So he was kind of inspired by the the (laughs) Disney uh, Zorro um, kind of kind of career. Sounds like
2: he was a uh, one-man partridge family, too, with everything that he could do, play, and all that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. So just a little quick bio uh, about Bill Moomy. Uh, If you don't have anything else to... To say about the episode itself, we can jump into some trivia. You want to go first? You got any trivia points you want to hit? Uh, well, I, I have two observations Okay, um, that I'll save till if you got
2: any more trivia trivia. Yeah, I got a few um, here if,
0: if uh, you want to save those. Okay, so um, uh, let's talk about uh, we already talked about, well let's talk about the Twilight Zone and Bill Mumy and the Twilight Zone. This is the first of three appearances by Bill Mumy in the original series. Uh, it's a good life, um, in praise of Pip, and it's uh, still a good life in 2003. So he must have reoccurred in 2003 episode, uh, and long distance call obviously. So a long distance call, it's a good life, and in praise of Pip were the three original uh, episodes that he was in. Uh, this was this episode in particular was the first episode that Rod Serling did not write or produce. He only received a credited by credit in this uh, episode. So the original script for this particular episode called for six-year-old Bill Mumy's character to be found floating face down in the decorative pond behind the house. However, the child's act, the child actor's mother refused to allow her son to participate in the drowning scene. Since director James Sheldon modified the shot to show only the father reaching into the pond to pull Billy out carefully, and they, they filmed it carefully to exclude having to show the boy. Uh, Moomie says, I wanted to do it. I was a very good swimmer, but Mom was terrified uh, that I would get some weird ideas about suicide if I did.
2: Well, I was reading, he said that they actually did film some of those shots. that He, okay. he said well, they filmed him where he was actually floating in there. Okay. It was in one of these books I was reading, but I thought you would cover it, so I left it out. But he said, I have I have vague memories of actually shooting them. He said, but it didn't make the cut or whatever. That's when his mom stepped in and said all that.
0: Okay. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see it the other way. But, I mean, well, I mean, it's 1960s on, you know, broadcast television. So, I mean, this, even, even well, I'll get to it in my closing comments, but i'm getting ahead of myself so the last this is the last you talked about this earlier jimbo this is the last of the six videotaped episodes uh, for the twilight zones uh for season for for the series um the script and jimbo already talked about this uh, the script was rewritten even as it was being filmed so that we already talked about the final scene being rewritten on the spot um and i think that's all really that i have of uh, any any trivia so jimbo go ahead and make your remarks and observations and all right let me i'm going to
2: propose this cuz i read it somewhere and i'm going to see what you think do you really think that billy can hear his grandma on the phone or do you believe that he believed he could which manifested to even where his mother, when she picked up the phone, could hear the grandma breathing, kind of like when they do a poltergeist. You know, they say a poltergeist activity is energy that you've manifested yourself, that happens in your house, uh, the energy and all that. So do you think that it was really her, or do you think it was all in Billy's imagination?
0: Well, I think Chris, his dad... Uh, lean toward the idea that Billy was it was just his uh, wild imagination that he was hearing and speaking to his grandmother. But I think for the purposes of this episode why would Billy imagine he's so young, he just turned five, right? Why would he imagine throwing himself in front of a car and then making up a big elaborate you know, excuse that someone told him to?
2: Well, I mean I mean, grief does some weird things to, to some people, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: But for me, I guess I would say that I mean obviously I don't believe that he really talked to her but for the purposes of this episode yeah I think he really was hearing from his grandmother makes okay. makes more sense to me I guess
2: uh, Um his dad his dad gives says some stuff um that would make you think do you think that Billy falls on the autism spectrum <laughs> Uh, Again, I was read. I got six books here. I was reading through. So this uh, yeah, is some of the stuff that was being pointed out in here.
0: I don't know. I'd really have to. I don't have a quick answer for that. I'd have to sit well. And comp- I would, contemplate. It that. would.
2: Be, it would. It would be what we consider the autism spectrum today, not what it was probably called back then. You know what I mean? All
0: right. Uh, boy, I don't know. That's a hard one. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to to answer that. I. I <laughs> I would have to really go back and examine the, the footage again and yeah. Cause I don't right. know a lot so. of the markers. I'm not real familiar. I mean, I know basic markers of, you know, aust- you know, autistic, um, tendencies, but yeah, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Right. So
2: those were the two things that I was going to ask you just to see if you, you know, right. What do you, what do you think? If you, could- you
0: think he would have been on the spectrum there
2: i don't think so um but then again you know i'm not that adverse into the autism spectrum so i don't know i mean i've known i've known people with autism um but i don't know enough about it to say one way or the other you know what i mean so i i don't want to say anything that would give me the wrong impression to somebody that they think I know what I'm talking about when I don't. Yeah, I'm just saying. I that's what I read in the book, and I just maybe if somebody out there that has an autistic uh, person in their family or knows somebody, uh, they may be more inclined to be able to answer this better than this idiot right here, or even that one over there. Yeah, so, same.
0: Yeah. Uh, um. Okay. So here, here goes. Here goes for me. Questions and observations. We are. We already talked about uh, the most impactful funeral that you. Uh, ever attended we talked about that off the top of the, sh- the episode um, but just a question how dark is this episode for this era and let me set the context for you okay it's it's 1961 they write a show where a five-year-old boy dies or appears to die by drowning via suicide on primetime television this ain't no leave it to beaver stuff <laughs> like this was probably a groundbreaking episode for its time and just the the subject matter and how ominous and even dealing with the uh the difficult issue of death uh would have been something that um, yeah would have been highly impactful well and i and i also
2: think you know we're only in season two but as we pr- progress um you will see in future episodes i believe it's called um, the bewitching pool if i remember correctly mm-hmm. where the kids dive into the pond and mm-hmm. you know um there's there's some thought about that issue too about the kids would basically kill them themselves to go to be in that happy place and mm-hmm. all that um so yeah, but for the time, it, it had to be very shocking. And I'm surprised that I couldn't find anything in those books about people writing into Rod Serling. Yeah, right. They want to write. They want to write into him about some stupid stuff about aliens on an asteroid. But they don't want to. They don't. You know, they don't want to write in about this. What What is wrong with America back then? Even you know what I mean. We, I mean, we know what's wrong with it today. But for back then, they want to write out on some other stuff yeah. and, and call him out. And I was like, suicide. not say anything about this one.
0: Suicide didn't yeah, bother. Like, Five year old suicide didn't yeah. bother. Him. Whatever, I yeah. was like... <laughs> so, uh, here are my two more points. Grandma has no respect for boundaries, okay? She tries to usurp the parents' authority. She's selfish, hateful to her son, and evil. Okay, I don't like Grandma at all in this. She's a great actress. She played a great part, which is the telling tale of why I hate her so much, I guess, by the end of this episode. She's despicable. But having said all of that about Grandma... I was really captivated by the episode. It was an ominous feeling throughout the entire episode. It really captured my attention all the way through a lot of times I'll start out really on a on an episode and I'll just sort of trail off and I'll watch it before I go to bed sometimes and i'll and I'll lose interest midway through the episode. This was not one of those episodes I think i rem- if I remember correctly the first time I actually saw it, I was like laying in bed and I just like. Sat up immediately, like what in the world did they just show? Like I can't believe they went there with this. I was actually shocked, and uh, as were probably the audiences back then. I, I think it could. I think it's out of the videotaped episode. I think it's a close call between this one and twenty-two as the best videotaped episode. But I'm gonna leave that right there. I thought it was one of the the better ones, if not the best videotaped episode uh, thus far and we're putting those to bed so it'll be the last videotaped episode that we see uh jimbo right. let me have um, it
2: let me uh, well i will but let me read this one last thing okay. to you. this is um basically this is talking about the the last of the the, the world well, the videotaped era of the twilight zone this is from my trusty companion once again by mark scott zickrey i i implore everybody to buy this book it's a great great book so here we go. A Long Distance Call was the last episode of The Twilight Zone to be videotaped. In all, Cayuga had saved $5,000 per episode. But for a series that required the entire universe as a stage, the limitations of tape far outweigh the advantages. In 1972, Serling finally made public his feelings on the subject. In an interview with Douglas Broad in Show Magazine, he said, quote, I never liked tape because it's neither fish nor fowl. You're bound to the same kind of natural laws as in live TV, but they try to mix it with certain qualities of film. On Twilight Zone, we tried six shows on tape, and they were disastrous. Although Serling and company were done with the six tape episodes, others were not. Both static and long-distance call resulted in lawsuits against Cayuga by writers who had submitted stories to the Twilight Zone, one of which utilized a magical toy telephone, uh, the other a magical radio Unfortunately, because The Twilight Zone was essentially a show that relied on various supernatural or scientific gimmicks, it left itself wide open to such charges. There were accusations floating around all the time that Rod was stealing every story that was ever written, and Rod was very self-conscious about it, says Buck Houghton. Uh, Science fiction is a limited field, and you can't write it without stepping on somebody's former ideal. It's like saying that every love story is a still of Romeo and Juliet. You know, boy gets a girl, boy loses girl, boy wins girl is not copyrightable. But there was this feeling. Ultimately, settlements were made in both of the cases. Following the tape shows, Cayuga broke for the remainder of the winter. For most of the production crew, this meant a well-deserved vacation, but not for Sterling, Sterling. If anything, his workload increased, preparing six of the remaining seven scripts of the season Shooting of film episodes resumed at the beginning of March 1961 with two different or two very different stories of time travel, both by Serling. So, just a little heads up that people were still after him about still and still in their shows and all that. But it, it, in the end, uh, the videotaped didn't let them have the boundaries that they needed to, do, you know, time and space mm-hmm. and all that. It limited it to them what they could do with special effects and all that. So, yeah. Now let's get to the meat. What everybody wants to know, Eric. <laughs> Where are you rating? Where are you rating this
0: episode? I mean, just overall or this season?
2: No, no, no. Well, well, we'll get to that at the end of oh, the season. Oh, okay. Maybe well, a, a recap. Just, well, where are you going to? One to ten. Where are you putting this bad boy?
0: I, I'm going to go like uh, I'm going to say a strong seven and a half, and maybe leaning to an eight. It's. I thought it was a, a really well done. And just because of my shock and reaction, like I described earlier, I think for for that jolt alone, it got at least a seven and a half. I thought it was, I thought Moomy's performance was great. I mean, he was a great child actor. I mean, the guy basically owns all of science fiction, you know, as far as child actors are concerned. So I thought he did a good job. The parents, they were okay. And then the grandmother, obviously, I she did a marvelous job because I come to despise her by the end of the episode for all that she did. I mean, can you imagine your grandma being like that to you, man? Like, that's... Well, 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 hang on. Look, my grandma,
2: when I had my kid, the first one and the second one, but you know you go over to her house you know you go visit and they get you know they're doing something they shouldn't be doing oh well you know they're gonna get in well you can't do that at my house (laughs) you know you wait till you get home you know my grandpa'll be like you know they got to take care of it now you know so um yeah so you give it about a seven like a 7.75 then huh
0: sure we can go with that what do you say you didn't like it as well probably (laughs) not you know as a
2: as a wise man once used to say on espn not so fast my friend (laughs) You're so critical. Um, I, I well, once again, it's another stupid videotaped episode, and I think that downplays a lot of it for me because it just looks weird. You okay, can, um, Bill Billy, he was obnoxious to me. Okay, uh, I think he was a spoiled brat. Um, I, I think he hasn't been. I mean, let's think about it. I don't think he's been told many times in his life by his grandma or his parents. Uh, because you go in there and you, and you, know, you see the pile of presents cause they keep bringing them presents up there and they're like, Hey, this is the one you really wanted. I think you should open this one. The girl's I was like, no, Billy, come over here. Let's open grandma's. Yeah. Cause grandma's always better. Um, it was just a little over the top for me. Um, I did like the dad and mom's performance. I, I I liked them a lot. And that grandma was creepy. Uh, she was really creepy, especially on her deathbed. I was like, you know, her hands are like, you know, up here and the sun goes over there and gives that powerful performance um i wouldn't say it's gonna be in my top 10 of this season it's probably a mid-tier episode for me um if i have to be honest um which i can't wait till we do our recap of season two because i got a feeling me and you are going to be all over the place when we when we do this i don't even know if we we'll would have a clear number one and two like we did last season um yeah but for me it was just an average episode and then again i think mo- most of that's with the videotape like i say this every time we do a videotaped episode that it bothers me and i don't know why because it's it's weird do you understand what i'm trying no, to say yeah Does i it mean different? i
0: think, i think everybody understood that it was weird at the time even and that's why they you know they canned it because it wasn't saving right. them any money but yeah, you still have daytime soap operas that use that exact same yeah. stuff
2: these days. It's let me. Still there. Let me tell so, you. So yeah, something. for me. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Go no, go I was ahead. just gonna say with something that's interesting. IMDb actually rated this episode lower than the next episode that we're gonna cover. A hundred yards over the rim. It actually, which I don't know how that one got rated higher than this one uh well I, it's 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 easily because it's better uh, point blank it's it's a better right. episode
2: okay well well we'll find out soon because we'll be doing that shortly yeah <laughs> so I think we've rattled on long enough for this this one's been about an hour long according to my standards or my timing so yeah. um you got anything else to add before we we head out nope. right off into this fifth dimension nope I think we well, if you like covered it'd like to reach out to us uh uh write us at the uh, tragedy of cinema gmail dot if you want to join the facebook page uh we are the tragedy of cinema podcast on facebook if you'd like to leave a, a, a review uh you can do that um eric you want to take over anything else i might have forgot at the
0: second um uh, no we just got a few things that we've got uh in the hopper we won't uh reveal all of those things as of yet but uh it's glad to be just expressing uh gratitude to be back in i think our schedules are maybe going to align a little bit uh Here in the near future, we like Jimbo said we can close out this season too and and put it to bed. So uh, I know it's kind of been spotty as of late. uh, So we did really well at the beginning of this year of being on a really good schedule. We had a lot. We were very disciplined in our recording. So uh, uh, I miss doing it and uh, glad to be back in and uh, back at it again. So uh, I don't have yeah. So.
2: Hopefully, I'm getting excited too because we're getting ready to go into season three. And I believe season three, four, and five, there are some that I've never seen because they're not very, they weren't the ones that would be playing on the marathons and all that either. So I've, I've never watched them all. So right. I'm kind of getting excited. Yeah. At first, you know, if you could go back and watch some of the Twilight Zones for the first time again, awesome. Pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yep. So, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap.
1: And cut. A toy telephone, an act of faith, a set of improbable circumstances all combined to probe a mystery, to fathom a depth, to send a facet of light into a dark after region, to be believed or disbelieved, depending on your frame of reference, a fact or a fantasy, a substance or a shadow, but all of it very much a part of the twilight zone.